everyone. Welcome to Zon and Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. And joining me today, uh, someone I haven't had on for a very long time, Chris Suprisaho. <laughs> it's good to be back. Chris, thanks for coming back on. Uh, how have you been? What have you What have you been up to lately? Well, uh, I have been... Uh, I changed my job, so I've been... Uh, uh, Working with uh, Inuit Nunavik, and it's been oh, taking wow. most of my time. And I have been living basically under a rock for the past two, three years. <laughs> well, that's okay, because we're not talking about anything from uh, the last few decades today anyway. Uh, Excellent. So I guess you haven't, uh, so you're not secretly in Japan this time, I take I am it. not secretly in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, Sounds like you haven't been to Japan in a while, which is okay because it's it's um, very expensive to get out it's there become now. It's very expensive, yes. Yeah. You can uh, th- the tickets do drop down now and again, but you, you really have to keep your eye on it and and jump on it and hope that it's all going to line up with the the time you book off from work. Yeah, uh, I am I am trying to get to Japan, as you may notice, um, but uh, it hasn't hasn't uh, worked out since since the uh, the whole pandemic thing started. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm still hoping price go back down at some point, but uh, yeah. it, it might be a lost battle. It, it's possible. Like we're, we're still dealing with a short, like a shortage of flights and a shortage of staffing. Staffing, um, yeah. Yeah, with, uh, with, with airlines. So it's all just a matter of how long it's going to take for that to stabilize or just stabilize more. Mm. Uh, we'll see. Keep an eye on it. But uh, hey, you're you're still keeping busy and 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 moving around. That's that's yep. pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm still hey. traveling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just within Canada. Yeah. So as I said uh, today, we're not talking about anything from the last few decades because we are once again exploring an older anime title that has had a, a significant cultural impact in Canada, and we're talking about Heidi Girl of the Alps, or as it's known in French, Heidi la, uh, la Petite Fille des Alps. Heidi was uh, a show that aired on French-Canadian TV on Radio Canada. It premiered back on September 24th, 1977. And it is, if you don't already know, it is one of the most famous anime television shows ever made. It's a landmark work of director Isao Takahata, the latest Isao Takahata, who did many movies for Studio Ghibli, including Grave of the Fireflies and Only Yesterday and The Tale of Princess Kaguya. And this is the show where he established the philosophy and themes that he is best known for. He had done so many things before Heidi, but Heidi was like a, the turning point. That's where his uh, directorial style just sort of emerged, um, for better or worse, because it's uh, it's uh, the end results are wonderful. The uh, the, the process for creating it <laughs> is uh, is surprisingly um, cruel. Really, uh, we'll we'll get into that. Okay. Um, so Heidi was part of the Calpis Theater. Uh, but this is the title that caused Calpus Theater to grow into the institution known as World Masterpiece Theater. Okay, so uh, that's, that's what he was, because huh? I, I was under the impression he was a World Masterpiece. It is World Masterpiece Theater, but before before World Masterpiece Theater started on Fuji TV, it was just called Calpus Theater because it was, well, it was always just there to advertise Calpus to children, which is the, uh, the, the milky <laughs> the drink? drink that people yeah. have mixed opinions of. I, I like it. Uh, have you? I, I like the melon. Have you tried the melon calpus? I have not. I am afraid of that one. Really? It, yeah. It's good. It's good. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend melon calpus if uh, okay. if you're able to find it in your 
in your local Asian grocery store or regular grocery store. I think you can even okay. find that in just regular grocery stores now. At least at least in Vancouver you can. Vancouver, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, this it was Heidi that sort of catalyzed Kalpas Theater into becoming World Masterpiece Theater and it just sort of grew into more of a of a grandiose kind of kind of institution in Japan. Heidi is also the show that created the anime storytelling that specifically focuses on appreciating mundane things in life. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't really a thing before Heidi. I, I wouldn't call Heidi like an, you know, we call that kind of thing Iyashike now. Uh, shows like, oh. what, 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 like Flying Witch uh, from a few years ago or okay. like a, something that's relaxing to watch because it just focuses on people doing ordinary just, mundane things or mm -hmm. uh or just living their lives and you just and you you that's your entertainment value you just sort I, of... I have an equivalent in my head but uh uh it's a canadian equivalent in my head so it's the for better or for worse oh yeah um that again that's more more of a slice of life but okay but yeah oh, but have you seen have you seen flying witch or aria was an old I, one i have seen flying witch and yeah. aria yes yeah so i mean it, it, there's a slice of life but a lot of the enjoyment just comes from just watching people relaxingly do mundane things like make coffee or cook or interesting yeah or or as or in the case of heidi make cheese right. lots of cheese so much cheese uh, milking milk goats. goats. There's so much goat milking in this yeah. show, um, and and Peter just loves to squirt. Or Peter or Pierre, depending on which version you're watching, uh, he he just loves to to squirt the milk right in his mouth. He does mm -hmm. it constantly uh, in in loving detail, uh, and and yeah. But Heidi is sort of the the show that started that element of anime and that type of anime, and uh, and the show. I mean, it's one of the most famous anime ever made, but it still lives on in Japanese popular culture today in the form of, like, really bizarre and sometimes yeah. inappropriate uh, commercial parodies, which if you, I don't know, if you watch, like, Japanese commercial compilations on YouTube, which I do all the time, there's always going to be, like, weird Heidi remix things where, you know, you just have um, Al Manji, like, rapping or something, or milking a goat while giving a ted talk that's that's my favorite one i don't think i've seen that one yeah i i should have ca i should have um i should have captured it when i saw it and because mm -hmm. uh, that was it was really funny uh <laughs> but you you can find those if you if you look through like commercial compilations and i think there are just compilations of the heidi ones as well okay yeah. uh but that that is sort of i think that is that is sort of the form that heidi is best known for today and in Japan today, and there is a, a reason for that, which we'll get into. As for why we're covering it on this show, like I said, Heidi aired on Radio Canada, and uh, not only that, it actually is probably one of the most high-profile French-Canadian anime dubs ever made, uh, because this, the dub was produced in Quebec, uh, using, you know, mostly normal, regular Radio Canada talent from that time. Uh, and it was shown in French-speaking markets around the world. It is always this Quebec dub that is shown, and it's quite uh, quite highly acclaimed from what I've uh, from what I've gathered. Uh, and it actually debuted in 1977, as I mentioned. But that is one year before uh, Candy Candy and Goldorak uh, sort of wow. started the anime craze in France, and they started dubbing anime in France. Uh, and it actually would be, not be for another two years until the show aired in France, and. 
Uh, I think it was already running in Germany because the French, the Quebec dub is basically kind of based on the German version. On the German? That's like, that's okay. like the template mm-hmm. for most of them, from, from what I understand. It's a, it's a little unclear because a lot of the facts that I've read don't quite line up with what you see in the actual dub or hear in the actual dub. But we'll, we'll kind of pick that apart. Um, so despite the incredible reputation of Heidi, uh, virtually nobody who speaks English has seen this show in its entirety. Uh, really? I, I think I only know two other people besides myself who actually have watched the whole thing, and they aren't the people you think they are. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and there's, there is a good reason for that, uh, because Heidi was not fully fan-subbed in English until 2014. Oh. Uh, so that means that basically there was, if you only speak English, there was no way that you could watch the whole show and understand everything that was happening. Um, even if you had read the book, it wouldn't help because the the story does diverge from, from the book in a few ways, especially. Yeah, they don't, they don't especially uh, take all the elements from the book. Yeah, and the themes have been changed a little bit mm-hmm. uh, compared to what the book is. It definitely um, aligns more with Isao Takahata's worldview and not so much uh, the one that Johanna Spirey was um, communicating in, uh, in, in in the original work. As for what Heidi is about, uh, Heidi is about an orphan girl uh, who's brought to live with her grandfather, uh, who is called Elm Onji. Uh, not, what, what, is, what do they call him in the French version? Uh, I Compère des Alpes. Okay, yeah. So ba- same same thing, basically. Um, and he lives in this in the Swiss Alps alone. Uh, and Heidi's aunt, uh, Dete, who had been taking care of her, finds a job in Frankfurt, and she's no longer able to take care of Heidi. And she decides that uh, it is Alm Onji's uh, responsibility now to take care of the child. Uh, and he is a bitter, isolated old man. Uh, but this child's glowing cheerfulness and appreciation of beauty causes him to kind of find a new love of life and uh, sort of changes his perspective and and outlook on things. So she makes friends with the young goat herder Peter, or Pierre, as he's called in the French version, as well as his mother and grandmother, and uh, forms a deep connection with, you know, not those people, but also just life on the mountains. Uh, after three years, Dete returns and takes Heidi to Frankfurt with her so that she can be taken uh, as a playmate for a rich, sickly girl named Clara, uh, or Claire in the, the French version, which is basically a ploy to uh, gain this girl's inheritance uh, with the expectation that she's going to die young, which is absolutely horrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and in this time, Heidi uh, forms a strong bond with Clara, but at the same time grows deeply homesick for the mountains because the mountains are wonderful and the best place in the world that you could possibly want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so I believed it after watching it. They definitely sell you on that idea of idyllic yeah. life in the uh-huh. in the mountains. In the, the mountains, yeah. Personally, I find the idea of living in the mountains to be highly undesirable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they definitely just feeding on uh, goat milk and cheese. Mm, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> but they uh, they definitely capture not only the like the the setting, but this specific type of feeling the setting would evoke for some people and that's Mm -hmm. a huge part of why uh the show is so popular and has remained so popular and yeah heidi develops homesickness for the mountains and then uh 
and then uh, returns, and then we get into the last part of the story where Clara wants to join her on the mountains, but she is in a wheelchair and is sickly. And then we, I won't, I won't get into the details of, of where where all that goes, but um, interesting ideas of modern medicine and science and uh, the <laughs> problem with modern medicine and science and the way the show depicts it, which I, I don't, maybe, maybe when we're talking about it today, it has kind of a questionable connotation. I, I kind of understand mm-hmm. what they were getting at. No, me too. Yeah. Yeah. That, I was, yeah. I was, I, I, I know exactly what you're getting at and I was looking at it and I was like, Hmm, what's the message here? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, right. On the surface, it looks like that. Oh, the mountains will, will cure anything. Will cure your disability. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But that's, that's not, that's not how it, that's not how it actually plays out. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's more because, uh, modern, society has sort of limited our imaginations and way of thinking and the way we think of, of health and the way that a person can prosper uh, and would rather infantilize a person. Uh, And, but if a person is able to, or or it's rather it's taken away our our ability to define ourselves by our labor or our, um, the, the effort we're willing to put into things. Right. Uh, So again, a lot of Isao Takahata's, personal philosophies influencing the way the story works. And the original story focused more on faith uh, and, yeah. and God. Which is, which is, just which sort is of, completely absent from... It's, it's absent. Not to say Takahata is not interested in those things, because he, he kind of go he does go back to that in um, Anna Green Gables. Mm. But anyway, um, but before we get more into the show, uh, I uh, Chris, can you just kind of talk about your personal background with the series? Uh, so, uh, Heidi is definitely one of the, uh, first anime I, I have some memories of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the kind of show that, um, I, I actually didn't specifically catch it on TV. It was the kind of show that, you know, like, uh, back in the days when, uh, the teacher would just, uh, roll up a TV in the classroom. Yeah. And yeah, so Heidi was the one thing, the one show we were watching. Back okay, in so you, uh, the VHS tapes. And th- th- was this in... Uh, it was in, in Canada. Canada. Yeah. It was in so, Canada, yes. Yeah, so it was... In, yeah, because I know that a lot of these shows are just, like, part of school curriculum or, or part of a, a list of shows that okay, we, they could show in a class. Well, okay, th- that makes we sense. talked about this a, a bit in, like, the Fables of the Green Forest mm. podcast, where... Because it was part of TVO, and TVO had was able to provide content to um that to would schools. explain why and i imagine it was something similar with heidi yeah. because yeah. i don't we don't know what studio did heidi exactly it was probably sono lab or or someone but it kind of doesn't matter because the the people and the uh the individuals who worked on it they're, they're all radio canada personalities and i think radio canada was really sort of the uh kind of they, they kind of had the control over it in in canada okay. and that's pro probably had something to do with um why it would be in the classroom but yeah it's interesting that that's that's how you first sort of encountered it yeah absolutely and uh i have i have some vivid memories of uh, well, well like um i don't it's been it's been so long that i, I completely forgot everything uh, before i uh rewatch it but i have some vivid memories of things like um well clara being the first time i i encountered if you if you could say uh somebody in a wheelchair because mm-hmm. i had never seen that before oh wow yeah yeah if you're seeing it in school for the first time that would that would make sense yeah uh and that was 
and and so those those are things that really marked me but as you said uh, heidi is also a show about well i don't want to say nothing but kind of yeah so there, there are de there are definitely episodes in heidi that are about that uh not a whole lot going on plot wise right but yeah. you know so it's, it's not about... like um so it's not like he had like a, a major i would say impact on the youth i would i would say but again if uh it's something we all watched in class so i i was i would assume that everybody has uh has a sort of memory of heidi well, this was in the nine. This would have been in the nineties too. In the nineties, so, yes. But this was running as far back as the seventies. So, like Gold Goldrack or Candy Candy, obviously are gonna um, overshadow yeah. something like Heidi, even though it yeah. was was running first. But it did run for a long time, and was still you know prominent and well known. Interestingly, I don't. I the thing that I'm not clear on is how big the show was in French speaking markets compared to like German speaking markets or or Italy. Uh, where it seemed to be quite a bit more prolific in in those places. Like if you go to the, you know, this isn't the best basis for understanding, but if you go to the Wikipedia page for Heidi, it has sections on the show's impact in different in different culture markets. Yeah. But there's no, it doesn't say anything about um, Heidi in French. So, so, so my <laughs> my guess is um, in, I don't know at, at what point because I, I try to remember Heidi and I think that. Part of my memory of Heidi was overlapping with another Alps anime called, um, what was it called? Uh, it's called uh, Al Alps Story My Annette. I don't know yes, if you've heard yes. of that. Yeah. That, one, that was another one that I think it ran on TV at some point as well. Yeah. So yeah. Alps Story did run on TV more, a lot more than Heidi uh, growing up. It, and in, in, around like guessing... late 80s, early 90s time. Right, exactly. It, it was made later. So Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm guessing that probably uh, uh, Alp story probably overrode the cultural impact in France of Heidi is is my guess. Well, in any case, the Quebec produced dub uh, was the version that ran in all markets. There wasn't like mm. an other wasn't... Fr a France dub or anything. Right. So let's talk about just the background of the show. Mm -hmm. And I think the best place to start would be uh, the original books it was based off of. Uh, so, Johanna Spyri, uh, one of the most prolific Swiss authors who has ever lived. Uh, she wrote adult and children's novels and always had a common theme of bringing rural and natural settings to life with very vivid and rich description. Heidi was originally published in two parts. Part one was Heidi, Her Years of Never-Ending Learning, and that covers the point of the story up until she leaves frankfurt um so that's the part where she goes to the alps is taken away to live in frankfurt and then she leaves frankfurt to go back to the alps that is part one and part two heidi how she used what she learned and that covers the rest of the story heidi is probably the most famous swiss story uh ever written uh highly and it is the reason that johanna spyri is uh so prolific and well known uh, and it is, there's also been accusations of plagiarism on this story oh. on Spyri's part as well. Uh, someone had, dis when doing research on uh, on her work, uh, someone had discovered a German story from 1830 called Adelheid, um, De Madchen vom Alpenburg. Oh. Um, and that is translated as uh, 
Adelaide, the girl from the Alps. And Adelaide is, of course, Heidi's full name. And the name name of her mother and her name. Uh, that's what Heidi is short for. Uh, and not only does the main character have the same name, it also has homesickness as a plot element. Um, oh, wow. So the, these accusations have largely been dismissed. I don't know if it's because they've been truly discredited or because people don't want to talk about it because Heidi is such a cultural institution cool. yeah. that, uh, that, uh, that people uh, don't want to acknowledge the, uh, um, the implications of that. It, it does seem from what I have kind of read and gathered from this that Heidi probably does borrow like the broad story elements from, from that, that oh, existing wow. children's story. Um, however, I think at the end of the day, what's more important is the execution. And mm. what's important about the story of Heidi is not the specific things that happen in the storyline, but the way that the vivid description of living in the mountains and that type of lifestyle, uh, how that brings the story to life. Uh, and that, of course, is what Isao Takahata and his staff seized on with their adaptation. And that is what makes the story unique. And that is what makes the anime as great as it is. Um, and yeah, but even before Isao Takahata uh, was brought on to handle the adaptation, uh, the company that basically was in charge of Kalpas Theater or World Masterpiece Theater, who is Zuyo, uh, they had been tr they had been exploring the possibility of doing a Heidi adaptation and had produced um, a couple of pilots with the intention of running it for, again, the Kalpas Theater block, which would later become Masterpiece Theater. So if you're not familiar with that block, uh, it was a partnership between Fuji TV and the animation studio Zuyo. Uh, and the block would usually have works that were animated either by Zuyo or by TMS uh, Studios. Uh, and the basic goal of the block was basically to in addition to advertising Kalpas to children, uh, adapt Western literature into anime. Okay, so so I oh, so, do you have a question. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, in what part of Heidi were they advertising Kalpas besides Kalpas theater animation at the beginning? Because I, I, if if they did, they they did it very sneakily because I never noticed. I mean, there's there there's no product placement in the show. Okay, but. They have, you know, it's Kalpas Theater, so you have Kalpas in the name. and then Okay, so if you're thinking, oh, hey, Kalpas. Presumably, they would run advertisements for Kalpas during the show. Ah, uh, could yeah. be. Uh, so, but that, that, you know, we don't... I mean, I'd love to see those ads. I have not been able to find any. Um, but, you know, you you associate Heidi with Kalpas. Heidi, Heidi is trying to sell you things. Okay. At, uh, at the at the end of the day, but yeah. it, it is that commercial sponsorship that sort of gives them the breadth to make the show itself um, something like really authentic and how do I put it authentic and respectable. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that that respectability is what sells the product, and they would run shows not only from Zuyo but also from Mushi Productions and TMS Studios. One problem that came up with a lot of the productions that they were running uh, was that the original authors for works that they wanted to adapt were not always impressed with the results or what they were trying to do. Famously, uh, Tobey Jansen, really? who is the um, creator of Moomin, uh, was not satisfied with the two Moomin shows that ran during the early 
years of Kalpas Theater. Um, and a big reason for that is, well, the, the animation director behind Moomin was Yasuo Otsuka, who is sort of the the guy who made Lupin the Third happen. And those early Moomin shows were filled with like lots of Lupin-like gags that involve like guns <laughs> and, and stuff. And she uh, she did not like uh... that. And it was actually Yasuo Otsuka who yeah, tried to encourage uh, the trio, uh, the, the you know the 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 trio of Isao Takahata, Hayao Miyazaki, and Yoichi Kotabe. Uh, to come over to uh, to TMS and do work that would be contributed to Kalpas Theater. Yoichi Kotabe, if you're not sure who he is, uh, he did a lot of early collaborations with Isao Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki, but he's best known for the work he would do for Nintendo. He would move over to Nintendo in the 1980s, and he would do a lot of artwork for Super Mario and later Poke- the Pokemon series in the 90s. Um, so that's, that's, that's actually what he became most famous for, but he started sort of in these same productions that Isao Takahara and, and Hayao Miyazaki were in. And specifically they wanted, he, uh, Otsuka wanted them to work on Pippi Longstocking for World Master, for, for Kalpas Theater. Um, but oh, wow. again, the author of Pippi Longstocking, Astrid Lindgren, uh, would not even allow them to make the show. She rejected their proposals. Yeah, because it never it, it, the show never happened because she she just did not like what they were trying to do. Yeah, okay. But which is very interesting because I feel like World P- World Masterpiece Theater did a lot, a huge chunk of my uh, classical classic children's stories education. It is kind of weird seeing like authors just not like not liking what they were doing who who would you expect to make a better product or a better production than right. than these teams um but again Heidi was the one that ele- was the show that elevated Calpas theater and, and world masterpiece theater so it didn't at that point of time it wouldn't have had quite the same reputation um mm, and it wasn't yeah, like sense. the shows were not airing in Europe yet at that point so I mean I guess I guess I can kind of see why uh, why certain creators would be skeptical or right. um, or dismissive of the productions at that time. I, I imagine that mm. would change later. Uh, but yeah, Pippi Longstocking did not happen. Uh, but what did happen was Pantago Panda, the two Pantago Panda shorts, which were run in front of Godzilla movies. Ha- Miyazaki and Takahata and, and Kotabe basically just recycled most of their ideas for Pippi Longstocking into pa- the Pandigo Panda shorts, which is pretty obvious when you look at the main character in those Pandigo Panda <laughs> shorts, because she looks just like Pippi Longstocking. After that, they went on to uh, to work on Lupin the Third with Otsuka, um, but it was when they saw like the impression that Pandigo Panda had on children that pointed them their momentum in the direction of doing more similar work like that and more work that would fall uh, kind of fall under the banner of things like Calpas Theater. And that what that's what led them to developing a new take on Heidi uh, that would run during that block. And they really wanted to channel kind of what they had wanted to use for Pippi Longstocking. Uh, and a big advantage of adapting of adapting a story like Heidi over Pippi Longstocking is that Johanna Spirey had been dead for 70 years. So that I gave them a lot more freedom <laughs> uh, with what they could do with the show. Um, so I uh, there's a great write-up on just the history of the production of Heidi uh, on the website Anime Tudes. Uh, I encourage you to read it and check it out. It's It doesn't cite 
sources that specifically, but a lot of it is taken from from accounts on um, the, the history of Studio Ghibli and Nippon Animation that have only been published in Japan. Some of those books have been published in English as well. And admittedly, I have not read those books, but you can uh, you can access them. Um, but it's a lot of good information. Heidi was really innovative not only because it just sort of sort of created the the element of anime where you appreciate the mundanity of life focused on those kinds of things um but its entire production process um was really innovative because it created something called the layout system where there'd be a sort of a new step between storyboarding and animation where uh like detailed guidelines uh for the animators and background artists would be sort of um created as an in-between step um this responsibility was called scene composition and the person who was credited with scene composition in the show was Hayao Miyazaki and what this layout system did was basically give them an opportunity to be extremely critical uh and um uh, and sometimes cruel to the animators who were working on it uh well, because early I see one thing that they did during the production is that they would they they spent obviously a lot of time on the first episode and it came out perfect so they would actually just play that first episode over and over again in the studio while they were working on episodes as an oh, example wow. of what the whole thing should look like. But oh, also, wow. conversely, um, any bad keyframes or storyboards that Miyazaki and Takahata did not approve of would also be hung up in front of the studio. Oh, no way. Uh, to, to, as, as just sort of a... Um, a warning to anyone like a, who was like a wall of shame it's a wall of shame they had a wall of shame basically for um for things that didn't make it through that scene composition process oh wow uh, and it, actually um one person who worked on this show was yoshiyuki tomino who uh, amazing yeah who is the uh <laughs> he was a storyboarder and he was of course best best known as the creator of gundam but he but he did many has done many works over the years and uh he i mean his he worked in the television anime industry from the beginning because he was a, a director on, on Astro Boy. But he's had accounts of this, like, where Hayao Miyazaki would just outright throw his storyboards in the garbage. <laughs> uh, so, again, there was um, a very, very cruel process behind, behind how all this was done. And definitely psychological attacks on, on, oh, uh, this, on the this, staff. This is... This is and, straight up harassment. Oh yeah, and it's not—it's not only the foundation of how, you know, Miyazaki and Takahata would both direct works as they—they, they, um, uh, as they after creating Studio Ghibli and just sort of intensify this process even more. I mean, arguably, this was the foundation for a lot of the abuse and exploitation that goes on in the entire anime industry. In, industry, wow! Um, I, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, but I mean, hey. Look! Look at the end result, right? The oh, show so is—it's beautiful. Yeah, the show is is just absolutely beautiful. It's not only the quality of animation; it's the authenticity. Uh, famously, uh, one of the um, one of the most important elements of Heidi's pre-production was when the uh, creative staff made a scouting trip to Germany and Switzerland to gather reference materials and make the settings of. Uh, the towns in the Alps, as well as Frankfurt, as uh, true to life as they could. Uh, Takahata, Miyazaki, Kotabe, uh, and the producer uh, Jinzo Nakajima, they visited uh, locations like Frankfurt and Zurich and, Main and Mainfeld 
um, in the summer of 1973. Um, mm. And also joining them was the composer, uh, someone we've talked about on this show before, Takeo Watanabe. Uh, he is um, famous for a lot of the work that he did with Toei. Uh, he was the composer for Candy Candy and Cutie Honey, and he composed the theme song, the famous theme song for Cutie Honey. Um, oh. And he had a bit of a different approach with the music for Heidi. He, he, he integrated like authentic yodeling and folk music in, into not only the opening, but the, um, the, background, the background music for the show in general. Uh, and the, uh, the yodeling and Alphorn sections of the opening specifically were actually recorded in Switzerland. Uh, so, oh, wow. okay. uh, so it wasn't just the animation. Also the music uh, was very authentic, which uh, the, the music was not always used in every adaptation either. Uh, which is which is interesting, but we'll we'll get to that when we talk to the when we talk about the French dubs specifically. Up until this point, Calpus Theater, they were high quality productions, but they were also kind of it's much more much, much more unstable productions with mm. much more troubled productions most of the time. Heidi is not what you would call a troubled production. It was very, uh, it was it was very stable uh, with consistently high quality. Uh, but it was very tough. much a nightmare for the staff because of what they had to endure uh, under Takahata. It's a, it's a t- tradition that perseveres to this yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it it definitely. I, I think one of the one of the staff said that Heidi opened a new and frightening door to a way of working that is not normal for human beings. Uh, was the quote that was uh, oh, Yoko Gomi. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. Quote unquote. St- stable production that uh raised the bar for the expectations of how these shows would be made and the environments that they'd be made in but very very troubling for the staff and as we sort of touched on before the heidi itself or the heidi anime had a lot of changes um to the original story but it was the first world masterpiece theater title that had a continuous plot uh everything before this like fables of the green forest and moomin and um and others they were uh episodic and they Mm. were each episode had a different story uh but even though you know heidi doesn't have a whole lot going on plot wise in a lot of its episodes it had still a strong continuity um joseph the dog what was the dog's name in french Uh, i don't remember yeah i mean he is one of the best characters in the show for sure uh, but uh, yeah, he was he was added in. He was just sort of as a mascot character. He was not in the original books. Okay. Um, and also, the, all the religious elements of the original story were removed because that was a very mm-hmm. strong theme in um, in the original Heidi books and for you know, for Clara's uh, character arc. Uh, but it's all much different. Much more much more focused on you know conflicting views on the way society works and. Uh, and self-worth based in, uh, in in the work you put into something um, is much more um, much more prominent in the anime mm-hmm. version of Heidi. Uh, and what's also notable is that the Heidi was a massive success in Japan. Uh, people loved the idea of a this vivid, rich, pastoral escapism that they could experience for half hour or for a half hour every week. I wonder um, why, though. See that. See this is the this is the thing when I, as I mentioned before, um, I find personally find the idea of living in the mountains very um, unappealing. Right. But, but they sold it very well in the show. Yeah, but I think I think just 
in the 1970s in Japan, uh, just the idea of like this Western pastoral setting where you can just fantasize about uh, living in a, a, a beautiful rural imagined paradise uh, in, in Europe was a very popular idea. And sorry, the fact that you could all gather around joke, but... the television. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. I said I, said I want to say a bad joke. Um, it's it's. I guess it was isekai before isekai. It's kind of. It's it's just like it's it's your yeah. It's like your 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 thirty minute mini isekai experience every week yeah. to get away with the hardship of working yeah. uh, of of, yeah, of, of life in yeah. Japan. The TV the the family can just gather around the TV and you're isekai'd into this fantasy Europe for for a half hour a week and i think people just just loved that idea just love that yeah okay i can i guess i can see it yeah yeah, and that's that's just sort of how that foundation was created in japan and it's funny you look you look back on it now and heidi is not what you'd call a well-paced television show by modern standards um Mm. if you're just like it's not a good show to like binge and watch all 52 episodes at once because you're going to find that there's a, even though you know every episode is very engaging, um, every episode it, it will it will suck you in to a degree, get you to appreciate the beauty of the settings and the and the terrors of the setting as well. And that's, that's again that's really illustrated through through Heidi's character. You can't really recreate the social conditions of living in Japan and what it's like to to just watch an episode of it every week. Because that's right. sort of how it's meant to be viewed, and you can't really get that original context back. Which I I think I, I mentioned how it's hard for you know, it's only recently become available in English. Uh, Twenty fourteen, nine years ago, not that long ago in the grand scheme of things for a show this old. Um, but it's in like a modern entertainment setting. It's it's a little hard to to, to wrap your head around. Like pe- people view this as dated, and it is. And it's not that it's a bad form mm. of storytelling but it's a form of storytelling that doesn't quite fit the way people live their lives now uh, or in, you know, in a different country as well. Um, but it was a huge hit in Japan. This actually um, not only changed the industry, but it changed the company that made it. Because after Heidi was, um, was completed, Zuyo had a lot of debt that they had to, de- to deal with um, from other productions, both past and present. Uh, and they were they didn't want that debt to impact their new productions going forward, so they actually split into two companies. Uh, one was Zuyo Ezo, uh, which was just sort of a a video production company, uh, which would maintain the rights to Heidi and handle all the merchandising affairs. So they could basically merchandise the hell out of Heidi and just bring in money that way. And then the other half of the company was split into Nippon Animation, and that's where they they oh. push their talent to so okay. their production studios could just keep doing their thing not being directly impacted by all the financial problems that zuyo had built up over the years uh while heidi was just thrown on the other side and used as a merchandising machine to keep to, to deal with the debt and keep money going in and that's why wow. to this day you see heidi um, Heidi characters being used to, to sell all kinds of products in, in Nissan ads or cup noodle yeah. ads or, um, or, or, or cell phone providers. Uh, you will see all sorts of, of weird and wonderful Heidi commercials 
uh, which I, I think are great. I think it's really fun. Oh, they're amazing. <laughs> they're, they're all amazing. That said, uh, I mean, let's, let's go back to the French dub a little bit. Um, so I, I, I know that the dub was a little, was produced before you were born or would have yeah. been watching a lot of stuff on TV. <laughs> did you, did you recognize any of the voices? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. So you have, um, like I keep, like I've said a few times, they are sort of Radio Canada, um, house, house voice actors, house. uh, yeah. like, uh, Eve Gagnier, uh, she was an actress and singer mm-hmm. uh, who was, mm-hmm. you know, on radio and television, um, and she was an adult but did like a very convincing little girl voice for uh, for Heidi, and apparently that's what people have said in other, you know, in other French regions. That's re- really what sells the show. Other names that you see pop up in in things like Minifay and mm-hmm. Fables of the Green Forest as well, like Jean Fontaine, Nicole Fontaine. A lot, a lot of these same people. Uh, n- none of them are like really famous or prominent, uh, with the exception of the actors who played Claire's father and grandmother. They seem to be oh, really? uh, higher-profile actors. Um, okay. Uh, Francois Fauché uh, as uh, Claire's grandmother, and uh, her her father had two voices: uh, Hubert Noel and Ronald France, uh, mm, and they they seem to be higher. In more things, at least based on the on the credits and inf- there's more information on those actors, but um, again, they're all they're all basically just prominent television personalities from that era. So it really yeah. just sort of emphasizes that Heidi as a production was a real Radio Canada focused production, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's what was exported and popular in other countries. And I I know that previous Quebec dubs before this weren't really popular, like. Like for um, um, Jungle Emperor Leo or Kim of the White Lion, which was the first anime to air in France, but it wasn't wasn't a big success. And obviously Heidi was not as big a success as like Goldorak or Candy, uh, which came out the year after. But it still has a bit. I think it, this seems to have more of a legacy than any of the other Quebec dubs that. That came it, it is a very high quality uh, dub. Yeah. To be quite honest, like uh, like when I did uh, when I started my rewatch, I started watching in, uh, in in French, and it was very it it seemed seamless, you know. Yeah. As compared to other dubs. Uh, I was there was one thing I was curious about uh, that I, I I I'm not able to catch on to it by ear, but were they doing like authentic Quebec French or were they trying to imitate more of a metropolitan French? They were trying to imitate Metropolitan. Yeah. yeah. As we've talked about on the show before, a lot a lot of Quebec dubs don't sound authentically like Quebec French. They Quebec, try yeah. they try to sound more neutral so mm. it can be sold internationally. And yeah. Heidi yeah, I, I figured Heidi was very much one of those productions. But also one thing that sets the French dub apart from most other Europe from the European dubs of Heidi is that they they change the names. They make them sound French, despite the fact that all the settings, like it's still set in Switzerland and Germany, but they give all the characters more French-sounding names. Like French Heidi names, is, yeah. yeah, Heidi is still Heidi, but Peter, becomes, P- yeah. Peter the Goat General, as he's yeah. called, uh, he's Pierre. Uh, Clara is Claire, which which does make sense. And uh, oh, and Fraulein Rottenmeier, uh, she becomes <laughs> uh, Rougemont. Oh yeah, we haven't Rougemont, we haven't talked yeah. about her yet. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Um, and 
yeah, we'll we'll talk about Frowl and Rottenmeyer in in, in just a <laughs> second. Um, w- one thing that I was kind of confused about in this show was the music. So from what I've read and seen in the credits, because you can still see the credits in some of the um, the episodes, and, and the entire French dub is actually legally available on YouTube. You can watch the on whole YouTube, thing yeah, there. yeah. Um, but it seems to be based on the German version. Uh, and the German version is supposed to have a recomposed music by Gert Weldon. Uh, and he is listed as the composer in the ending credits. But as far as I can tell, the background music in this show is the same. As... So I'm guessing that it's probably credited for the opening song? Yeah, because, yeah, the opening song is... So it, it's it's kind of weird. There's a little, like, all, the opening... Heidi always has the same song in every region. But there is a there's actually a different Quebec lyrics version and a France lyrics version, uh, really? and the Quebec version the, the the composition you can still find like the, you can actually hear the music but the actual opening that ran on TV in the seventies is like gone. In the original Radio Canada airings, it ran in the very first airings in France, but it was later replaced with a opening composed in France, and that is the version you find on every release of Heidi now. Um, I, I'm confused because from memory, the Heidi song that I remember yeah. is I think the one I told you about. It's the one that um, it's basically the German song. Okay. Yeah. Translated in French. Okay. All right. So that, yeah, I can't. Um, yeah. There, there's so many different versions that I, I had a little hmm. trouble keeping track of it. Um, but I, I'm going to assume that the version you saw when you were a kid, was it the same that the version that you see on YouTube now, or was it different? Do you, do you recall? I, I, you know what? I, I've not, I don't remember the French version that's on YouTube right now. Give me, if you give me two, two seconds, yeah. I'll just look it up. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So what's on, what's on the, the French, uh, what's on, sorry, what's on YouTube is the version I remember, which is yeah. a German song. Okay. But yeah. translated into French. Yeah. But apparently, there, yeah, there was a slightly different version that was that was done in Quebec as well. So yeah, I guess yeah. But the background music in the show it is the Takeo Watanabe music, yeah. and yeah. it might also be a similar situation to Fables of the Green Forest, where they licensed the show from Ziv, uh, and it was based off of the English dub, but they used the, the original Japanese masters for the mm. Quebec dub, so it actually has all the content that was cut from the u.s or the english version english and version, the okay. original japanese music in the french dub even though they they it was they were dealing with the u.s licensor in that case um, yeah um like i think i think i mentioned to you but uh i i did a double take when i was watching the first episode mm-hmm. because uh when heidi's running in the mountains they just straight up left the the japanese opening song yeah i'm <laughs> not uh i i I'm not sure if it would have been like that in the original um, uh, version indeed. that aired on Radio yeah. Canada. I would, I, uh, I'm going to assume that they probably like went back and restored it somehow. Restored it. Uh, yeah. Why would they do that? Because yeah, there's a few. There's quite a few insert songs throughout Heidi. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's one for one for Heidi. There's one for for um, Pierre the Goat General. Pierre. He gets his own. Yeah. He gets his own image song, and it was probably sold. I think that's, you know. It, I think it was sold as an image song that you could buy on like a 45 single. 
but yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure how those songs were dealt with. So if the version on YouTube has the Japanese versions, there there probably was some restoration done at one okay. point with with the soundtrack. That's that's my the guess. Soundtrack, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I doubt yeah, that, that this, could make sense. I doubt this aired with the Japanese music when it was yeah. in um when it was airing in Canada. I I I I, I want to say I, I would have seen Stranger Things, but yeah, but yeah. I mean those early Quebec dubs they they usually were very um intact compared to the japanese version usually they didn't cut they would not cut japanese text or mm-hmm. um or they usually they would usually maintain the music they were usually quite authentic um which would change a bit when we started seeing more france produced dubs in the late 70s uh where they'd be more likely to change the music like they did with um like albator uh and and um and other shows moving on from there I think we've touched on before, like in France, they, they try to, they generally try to maintain the existing dubs rather than redub shows. Like we see they do in English all the time. Mm-hmm. So right. I think that results in a lot of changes and restorations being made to these dubs over time too. So what we're seeing now on YouTube probably isn't 100% what actually ran Was, on TV. What used to air. Yeah. On... And I think that's why there's a lot of conflicting information. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, overall, this Quebec dub of Heidi very authentic, and and true to the original, um, in in a lot of the most important ways I think. Um, and yeah, but yeah, the voice work is good. Uh, Heidi, uh, very 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 cute, authentic, little girl kind of voice yep. that has the the sense of um, uh, the range of of wonder and sorrow that you'd expect for such a character. Um, and uh, the the adults all sound like actual people and not exaggerated voices. In fact, even exactly, um, exactly. I love that. Yeah, in fact, Rougemont or um, Fraulein Rottenmeier, she sounds slightly even a little less grating than she does in the in, in Japanese. In, in Japanese, I mean, just a little yeah. bit. It sounds um, very pompous in Japanese. Yeah, um, and yeah, of course, uh, you know, Claire uh, sounds like. She's still still very cute, but obviously a little a, a little uh, a little so, more socially savvy, um, mm-hmm. a little older sounding, um, but still, yeah, but still what you'd expect for a character like that. So it's a very good dub overall, uh, and I can see why it's it's regarded well in uh, and has been for many years. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's definitely definitely one of the better dubs. Yeah, um, and yeah, again, as I, I touched on, you can, if you want to watch the French dub, the whole thing is on YouTube and it is legally available. And, uh, if you speak French, it's a good way to watch the show. Um, but if you do not, if you only speak English, you will need to, your only way to watch it is the fan subbed version. And it is, it is complete. You can watch the whole thing, but yeah, you're not going to be, you, you can't just throw it on in the background and just sort of appreciate it. Uh, in that in that sense, you have to you have to sit down and watch it. Which, again, I think that's a big reason why a lot of people have not gotten to it because a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have the time to do that. Um, and but it, 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 I don't know. If, I feel like it goes. It goes down. It easy. didn't feel like a chore to rewatch. No, it's not. Like it was. It was very nice. Yeah. You know? I mean, the show it subverted my expectations in a lot of ways. I thought it was going to be there were going to be there was going to be lots of filler. Uh, there's actually not a lot of filler. The only filler episode, I would say, that's completely superfluous, is like the the sledding episode near the end. But mm, even then, yeah. it still kind of builds onto the the growth of Peter's character. Of 
because yeah. he's learning new skills. He's um, mm-hmm. becoming a carpenter. Uh, yeah, be- uh, becoming a carpenter. Um, and oh, he's another character who's very different from the book. He's he is uh, quite cruel in the original. He breaks Clara's wheelchair after she comes to when she does come to the Alps at the end of the story. Uh, whereas in the uh, the anime, it's just portrayed as more of an accident. But they they definitely really softened peter's character in this anime and, he, and it's like baked right into his design he's like you know obviously he has a, de- a character design where he, he's meant to like sort of look down and look down at the floor and look kind of ashamed at what he just did um mm-hmm. kind of kind of vibe to him again it's just an inherent way of kind of softening his character which is interesting that they took that approach with him um and again i think that just sort of feeds into the type of atmosphere and uh and vibe they wanted wanted the the, the anime the to show have. yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely i mean let's talk let's talk a little more about the characters too um Fra- frowl and rottenmeyer uh who <laughs> uh who, who we were um talking about a bit with the voice acting uh so she, she is the um the housekeeper of claire in or clara in frankfurt and she is uh she is she's, a she's very very grating and uptight character who is deliberately off-putting in many ways. In fact, there's a Hanna-Barbera movie version of Heidi, and she she is just outright the villain in that version. She's drawn like 80s cartoon movie villain style, which I find very funny because that's not ultimately what she's like. Uh, she's, she's more nuanced than that, for sure. Mm-hmm. But she's... She's just she's so senselessly strict and difficult to put up with, and I I really like um, the the butler and maid characters, uh, Sebastian yeah. and Tinette. I don't Sebastian. I don't know what their yeah. French names are. I would think it's Sebastian and Tinette. Yeah, but they're probably my two favorite characters in the show because they they you know they work for Frell and Rottenmeier, but they just. They just don't take shit from her at all. Right, Sebastian's right. always like they, trying to play. They listen pranks. to her nonsense and they do. They just kind of like smile yeah. in the background. You yeah, know? like Tinette especially. She just has this, uh, this look on her face that she's just not going to take shit from anybody and anyone. Her. Yeah, she's just yeah. she's there to do her job and she's not gonna. Um, she, she's not she's not putting up with nonsense from whether it's the children or from Rottenmeier. and I yeah. admire that a lot. And Sebastian, of course, he. Uh, he's he's more of the uh, fun-loving character who who helps Heidi uh, get into trouble <laughs> a lot of the time too. But Cl- Clara is probably one of the more interesting characters in the show, and I, I have to say, a lot has been said how Miyaz- Hayao Miyazaki is the man who created Moe, uh, which is like young girl characters in anime that you want to nurture and take care of protect uh yeah. and i i strongly feel that i think clara is the the earliest instance of a a character in anime who is supposed to be moe and that is very interesting and i i strongly believe that hayao miyazaki even though he is not the character designer or director for this show i think that he is responsible for the way clara is depicted here um, that is very interesting because yeah. I I didn't actually feel that with Clara. Yeah, I felt that more with Heidi herself. Well, he- Heidi's a little different. She's more of an outlet for exploring like uh, the feelings a child has, which may not mm. seem rational, 
like she she'll look at like when she's on the mountain she'll look down into the uh onto the down from the steep cliffs and see something that's like very dangerous and scary but she sees beauty in that beauty uh, um, yeah whereas something like very insignificant will happen like like she'll mm-hmm. see like flowers withering and that makes her very sad uh, yeah. um, and she just has these emotional responses to things that an adult can't relate to but it's still you know it still sort of captures the uh i don't want to say naiveness but um, well there's a good line from peter when they were talking about one of the goats at some point and it's the uh the the, i forget the name of the goat but the goat was trying to fight with the uh adult goats i guess and peter says he's too young to know danger and he's too young to be afraid and I, i felt like that that could be applied to a lot of what Heidi did yeah. throughout the show. Heidi is someone who, well, in that sense, doesn't understand things like danger or beauty the same way an adult does. She just understands right. them in her own way, and the show is empathetic towards that perspective. I think what happened is that essentially a lot of because of her aunt Dete, mm-hmm. uh, Dete triggered a lot of flight and fight response in me. Okay. And Heidi essentially gets kidnapped to friend Frankfurt. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's and, it's a very it's, yeah. it's like it's so disruptive when that happens too. Because yeah. up until that point in the story, uh, you don't have a strong sense of time. You follow it does three years pass in those three years first, just pass like, the blink of an eye, and yeah. you you don't it feels like it's less than that. Like you, but you right. see the seasons pass by in that time, and it kind of gives you a different sense of how time is passing but then suddenly she returns to the story and essentially kidnaps Heidi and takes her to Frankfurt and suddenly everything really slows down you 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 enter city time mm-hmm. <laughs> you you, you yeah. enter the, the the way that you interpret time when you live in a modern society uh and it's a it's a jarring change I mean I think I think that's why I, I hesitate to say that um Heidi is like not a well-paced show because it's deliberately paced that way uh and it, it doesn't i don't i don't think it spends too long just uh no, actually, with not a whole yeah, lot no, going it's... off in the, in, in the per- first part um because yeah. I, I think there's a really real deliberation behind all that the way that mm-hmm. is done i do think it's a little dragged out when you get to the end and then she returns yes. to the mountains and it's just like yeah. You know, she's just having the back and forth with Clara. Clara wants to come to the mountains. They're trying to find a way to make to, to make that work. The doctor comes and says, "Oh yes, this would actually be very good for Clara." And it's just like you kind of you're not really. I don't really. I'm not really feeling the benefit of having that play out over that many episodes. But I feel a stronger sense of of intention uh, behind that in the earlier episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. What I was saying about Clara, it's just like you you look at Clarice in the castle of Cagliostro, uh, Lupin the Third mm. Castle of Cagliostro, who's considered to be like the first like truly Moe character. And yeah. I see a lot of what makes Clara an appealing character carried over to Clarice in that movie. Um, okay. And then there's also the fact that I don't know if you've if you've read Welcome to the NHK or seen it. I have um, not read. I've watched it. You've watched but, it, yeah. Uh, so it, it has one yeah. of the most uh, unforgiving satirical takes on Moe in that mm-hmm. show, where it's like a, a, a disabled girl in a wheelchair, and it's yes. just like it's just like the, the the detail that she's in the wheelchair is like yeah. it, it's like this in that parody. It's it seems so cruel, but you kind of 
see you kind of see that play out more earnestly in in Heidi and it's just like oh okay I can kind of see how that I might be the foundation doing, for yeah. that kind of idea yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, but I, I think it, I, I'm not saying it's a bad way of depicting Clara oh. because I think she, yeah. uh, y- again, you do see those, um, those sort of nuances. You know, you can tell Clara's a little, she's a little older than Heidi. She, she kind of understands be, being a, a tactful person and <laughs> things like that. And I think that she, she's ultimately just a like, like they, they, they don't make her like pathetic or really, um, someone you feel sorry for. Yeah, um, no, that that was that yeah. was really great because, like I said, you you said it perfectly. She's not someone I feel sorry for. Yeah, like I will be sad at some point when she's, well, we, we, which goes back to. Yeah, I mean, she we she does get about. to the mountains in the end, which yeah. are, you know yeah. I will spoil that. She does she yeah. she wants to go to the mountains. They find a way to make it work, and and there, Alm Onji, uh, Heidi's grandfather. He he just he knows because you know he he's an outlier of modern society, but he he just knows things that um, that the industrial world can't comprehend or will overlook, and he knows that Clara is not like her legs can work and she can rehabilitate herself, and right. and she, it, with again with hard work and and commitment. She can make it happen. And, and obviously yeah. the show kind of glosses over a little bit about just how hard it is to rehabilitate yeah. your legs, which from mm-hmm. what I, I, I've understood from people who have gone through that, it's like if you have to learn to walk again, it is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do in your entire life. Oh, I'm um, sure. And again, the, the anime does not get into it to quite that extent, but they do illustrate pretty well like how harrowing that kind of process is. And you like you feel really good for Clara when she does finally stand and slowly learn how to walk, and I, I think that's that's all done in a really compelling way. And that's an and again that's another character we got to talk about. Uh, maybe maybe the most important character in the show is Alm Onji, um, Heidi's uh-huh. grandfather, and he he was a lot different than I was expecting. I thought they were going to spend like ten episodes or something with this guy being a huge jerk before Heidi finally like gets through to him. And oh, it's be- Heidi completely blindsides him. Yeah. She blindsides him and she blindsides the entire audience. Exactly. Because I was also convinced he was going to take some time because the first episodes ends like on a sort of cliffhanger when he's like, oh, what am I going to do with you? you? Do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she straight up ignores all of that and she's like, oh, I don't care. No problem. Yeah. I believe you're now. You're my granddad and uh, we are happy. Yeah, that's the key. Heidi... Like, he, he comes off as, like, this very intimidating, dangerous, grumpy old man. But Heidi yeah. doesn't see that. She no. she cuts right through that and just sort of sees sees the kindness in him. And then yeah. when you see that come through and the way he interacts with Heidi, uh, it makes it clear he's just a, he's a sad, misunderstood man. And then as he his connection builds with Heidi, he warms up to other people. When Heidi leaves he like reverts back to being a a a difficult guy but when she comes back again he you you see that um that sort of nuanced softening happen with him um and yeah it played out completely differently from from how i expected and yeah himself he he's a real outlet for takahata's view on like again being defined by your work ethic uh, because he 
he he is the big counterpoint to um the way things work in the modern world he you know so, sometimes he's stubborn in the way he rejects things like schooling and he ultimately does see that there are good people like he get he gets along with the doctor and with with clara's father who are like you know the 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 positive patriarchal forces in uh in her life and and that's another kind of trapping of this show that you see a lot of these like old world masterpiece theater shows is that the the uh the patriarchal force behind the family is always like an unquestioned good compared to someone right. like Frowlin Rottenmeier, who uh, is, just is just like a corruption mean. of the, yeah. the ultimate corruption that modern society pushes on people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but it, I think it's interesting because there's a, a lot of um, his characterization. I feel has not been explored or rather they, they cut stuff from the book. Yeah. From what I understand, I could have explained why he is the way he is. Yeah, well, they t they talk. There's all this innuendo that he they believe he may have killed someone uh, oh, as yeah. a young man. And did did they get? I, I haven't actually read that much of the book. I haven't read the whole story. Me neither. Yeah. But from what I understand, he was there's there's an there's a huge element of PTSD, mm -hmm. kind of, within him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that completely makes sense with with the way he's 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 depicted and probably just yeah. the experiences that he had yeah, uh, when he was younger. He's all of rejecting society, of uh, he doesn't want society to teach her all the evils of men. Yeah, but like yeah, again he he softens to that as time goes by, but still, you know, still still maintains a lot of um, a lot of his core beliefs, and you you see that play out really strongly when. He's trying to buy property uh, down in in Dolphy in the town underneath oh. the Alps, and he just gets into an argument with the guy who who was gonna sell him something, and he's just like, "Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take this old rundown house that's been abandoned, and I'm gonna rebuild it myself. Rebuild it, and yeah. We're gonna live here, and <laughs> you can just tell this uh, Takahata is like, yeah, yeah. You show him Almanji. You show him yeah. how how you should be living. How people should be living their lives. Yeah. Uh, and and I think it's so funny because um. Like Hayao Miyazaki has always always took after Isao Takahata. Takahata was like um, a mentor to him because uh, he was always a little older and was making mm. films before Miyazaki did. And Miyazaki, the way he does things and his outlook on life is all sort of um, modeled after Isao Takahata. And it really feels like in many ways Takahata, like Almanji represents Takahata's views on life and Miyazaki kind of wants to become Al Manji himself. I was very surprised to see that Miyazaki shaved his beard recently because it's just like, oh, he he's he's less like Al Manji now. He's not he's oh, not wow. trying to be uh <laughs> Heidi's grandfather anymore. Oh. I don't know, that's 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 a that, that's not a very uh well informed take, but it's just like I I'm just like <laughs> no, but, but I was just wondering that when it. I was watching the show. Is like is Miyazaki just trying to like trying be this to guy? Emulate? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but and again, you can these characters are are all give a very strong impression. Uh, have a lot of complicated nuance behind them, um, and you, you can see why they're so iconic and recognizable in, mm -hmm. in just pop culture in general, both for the original story and in the anime version. I really liked um, Peter's grandmother too. Yeah, and and. 
and i thought it was very interesting how extremely attached she got to heidi very quickly yeah i mean she's the the clearest example of how heidi is able to cut through um just the types of prejudice or assumptions that a uh an adult would have about a person uh, mm-hmm. based on you know their disabilities or the way they live their life and she just she just immediately hones in on the goodness of people yep. uh yep. and yeah that, that, that that's explored beautifully with with uh with, with grandmother. peter's grandmother you know back to frowl and rottenmeyer uh the, the, another change that the anime made from the book is that all, all the sequences where rottenmeyer goes to the alps that was all added in for the anime just to get the satisfaction That's... of just watching her eat shit for the last yeah. <laughs> 10 episodes where she just finds it impossible to adapt um and, yeah. that, and that is fun but it's unsatisfying in a way because you know that she's not going to learn anything or change from that no. experience no so. but, but in the same in the same time like she she is kind of like a secondary villain in a, in a way but also i i i don't know about you but i i, I could tell she really cares for clara yeah definitely no. um and you know it's not like she lacks compassion um, no. Or anything like that, but you know she she is an she is an example of how the the this sort of flawed way that um, modern society modern society in, yeah infantilizes and tries to shield people from consequences where mm-hmm. you know Almanji and the people in the mountains they want you to you know take risks push yourself and and experience life in a in a more authentic way right. Um, and again, it's not, it's not it's not that simple. The show is not making a simple statement that mountain good, city bad. City bad. There's all no, sorts yeah. of nuance in between. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it definitely it definitely wants you to, to 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 think carefully about what we've given up in our modern lives compared to <laughs> someone who lives a, a a simpler life. A simple life in the in the yeah. mountains. I was looking at it and I was I was wondering. I was like, hmm, you know, back in the days we didn't have uh, high speed internet consoles uh maybe maybe life was better simpler that way and that's kind of like kind of like what i felt <laughs> looking at it yeah like were we better off when we or even just look back at a time when we when we didn't have high speed internet and just had yeah we had to uh connect through a phone line like were things actually better then and, and just to go back to um i did mention i i uh I travel a lot in north in uh, Nunavik. Yeah, yeah. And and I can tell you, I don't think life is better because uh, they didn't have high speed internet, and they still barely do have high speed internet uh, until maybe mid last year. And uh, I don't know. I look at the kids who are bored out of their mind mm. over there, and just doing. Sometimes they they're doing a lot of reckless stuff, and I I don't know. There's this. I think it's Heidi is very rose tinted glasses view of uh oh yeah it's of living in the isolation kind I, of I mean it's definitely idyllic um yeah. and it's definitely not it doesn't reflect reality it doesn't no. it's not the reality of actually living that kind of life absolutely um, not it, yeah. it, it is a it it's a it's a philosophical statement about yeah. certain things about how society works but you can't you can't take it at face value but no. Again, it's it's still even with that in mind, it's still not that simplified. There's a lot of a lot of nuance, a lot 
going on. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that's an interesting point to to, to raise about that. Uh, and 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 again, I think that was a big part of the appeal in Japan was just that this uh, this again like the word I use pastoral very idealized idealized yeah experience this is like that's that's what that's what was in demand people yeah. wanted to get, to get away and think that there was something better than the uh the 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 boom economy life in the city uh yeah. of, of I, 70s I, japan so I, I don't know if 70s japan is uh like some of the image we have of uh of um the, you know, hardworking salaryman life of uh, today's Japan. Hey, I mean, um, like we, where, where I, many people idealize that period of history now. Um, yeah. Hop, go a little, little further up to like the, uh, the late eighties, early nineties, um, city pop era. It's just like, look, look at how oh, yeah. we idealize that now and how right, disconnected right. that is right. from the reality of, of yeah. living in that time and then and then yeah. that place with the show was there any other like scenes or uh or episodes that really stood out to you besides heidi really blind signing everyone in her joie de vivre uh not particularly um i liked all the fa like the dream sequences uh oh the yeah, um, yeah. there were scenes especially in the early, in the first half where Heidi would just kind of nod off out of boredom and she'd have like very bizarre uh, fantasy and dream sequences that I was not expecting. You know, they were, they were quite entertaining and, and surprising in a lot of ways. Um, and I think may, maybe one of my, my favorite scene in the entire series was when Heidi was talking with her grandfather about bringing Clara to the mountains. And they were, he was trying to explain to her how dangerous it would be for Clara to come there. And, while they're talking, like she she uh, she accidentally knocks over a bucket, and the bucket like bounces down the mountain, and then eventually crashes and breaks against a rock. Yeah. <laughs> and they just and, and for a moment, Heidi and her grandfather just kind of look at it in horror, and they're just like, "Oh, yeah. that's yeah. Clara's head." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I I thought that was a really that I really liked that that scene right, right there. I thought that was. Uh, very uh very very dark but very good yeah yeah i i wouldn't say uh favorite but i guess i i think in in the end what really marked me the most were the two or three episodes with uh on Tete. uh i really dislike her yeah i <laughs> she it seems, was she... very tough to go through she seems reasonable, like when you when you're first introduced to her at the beginning. But the more she shows up, the more you realize that oh, she is what a horrible person. <laughs> I don't She's know, like horrible. from the get go, I just because you know, there's this um, again. I I don't maybe it's just it's just the way I view things, but that entire scene when she's dragging Heidi in the mountain and Heidi is covered under a huge layer of clothes. And I'm just looking at it. I'm like, what's wrong with this person? Yeah. Can't you see the child is suffering? <laughs> and it's all of the interactions that they had with Heidi. And I was just like, huh. And and, and I went to check the, the BBC um, uh, serial adaptation from back in the 80s, I think, just to see how they would have characterized her and somehow she's even worse than that 
they they actually soften her the the cartoon and i was really impressed by that yeah the the show softens a lot and it's like it's yeah. not to make it less harsh but i think it's like maybe to make it more nuanced like i mentioned nuanced, before, like, yeah. like i mentioned before that hannah barbera uh, Heidi Heidi movie like um, Rottenmeier she's just like a cart like a total 80s cartoon villain it's so out of line with what you see in this anime but it's maybe the impression you'd get reading the original novel um, yeah, yeah. And, but it's just like how it, it just shows how a, a lesser adaptation um, just like a lesser adaptation would probably spend way too much time on Alm Onji being a you know being a huge jerk before jerk, Heidi yeah. gets through yeah. to him um, Absolutely. A lesser adaptation is going to give a less nuanced take on characters who are, you know, very obviously bad people. It's not. It, it doesn't want to. Uh, you know, it's not. It's not. It doesn't want to make things that black and white. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, even even if the person is obviously terrible in that sense. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think the the last thing to talk about is just the status of Heidi today. So obviously, in many parts of Europe and in Japan. Heidi is well-loved, probably still widely viewed. Um, but in Canada, it's even in both English and French, it's, its relevance has, was either never there to begin with or has kind of faded. It doesn't seem to be as prominent in like the French-speaking world today. And do, do you think it could, um, it could make a resurgence? Like I know when G-Kids released Future Boy Conan, which had never been released in English, like it got, it got a lot of attention. It got even got a new dub produced here in Vancouver, and it sort of revitalized uh, that title. And I, I, I would like to think that the same could happen with Heidi, um, but it just it's I, just a matter I, of actually, someone licensing it. Yeah, it's actually like if if it were if it were licensed and and airing on a on a popular kids TV channel nowadays, or streaming I, I'm losing service. track of of yeah. Well, it, it is on YouTube, so if so kids can find it there but i've always felt that even though youtube is highly accessible it's not optimized for for like finding tv shows no absolutely not because that's i mean for me it was very easy to find it because i suppose i grew up with the well not grew up but i was there at the inception of youtube so i i know i'm gonna go find but then again you know when you think about it if i take my niece uh all her Peppa Pig she was watching off YouTube, so... I, I don't know how kids use YouTube, I ha- I, I, I will admit. <laughs> um, they, they watch a lot of TVs on, on it, man. Then I think about it, yeah. 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 I, uh, I'm trying to see... I, if I guess they... it just need to be directed in the right direction. So I'm looking... I think there is a DVD that you can buy on Amazon.ca oh. that is of the of the the cartoon so there's a re there's that cgi remake of heidi um, there is a cgi that remake, is and right. like the character designs are all based off of this uh, anime. The cart- uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah and it i have not watched it um it definitely lacks the um the everything that this anime has uh everything mm-hmm. that makes the show good it seems to be just completely um sucked out of uh of that new cgi version i can't imagine that it's it's very good but i'm making assumptions just based on screenshots and short clips that i've seen maybe maybe it's okay yeah i'm actually interested in checking it out maybe that's what the kids would prefer these days i don't know i hope not yeah me too you know it it would be nice like why can't we just have the original why can't that be 
the prominent I, version you find on a, on a streaming site now. There's unfortunately a very deep aversion to watching things that are considered old. I mean, like teenagers are are more into retro and older anime now, but younger kids need to need to watch yeah. Heidi. That's that's the Absolutely. most important thing. So, um, you know what? That's a good idea. I'm I'm actually gonna show that to my niece and see how she what she feels. Yeah, about. do it. It's uh. Again, not hard to find if uh, if you're showing the French version. So, yeah. I hope uh, I hope it gets dubbed one day. It's apparently the the it's probably very expensive to license, and I think there's really? there's a uh, we were talking about this on a previous episode before, and apparently the licenses for the World Masterpiece Theater stuff can be can be expensive, which is why it doesn't get released in English a lot because the oh. the price of the license outweighs the perceived interest in those older interest, shows yeah. because i think there's yeah. definitely a perception that they're for young children and paced badly and don't fit uh modern sensibilities and that's why companies just don't want to license them uh whereas i think it would be just overly beneficial culturally just to get them out there and get english dubs produced uh and broaden their appeal and accessibility but it's just 100 as as i mentioned earlier well, Masterpiece Theater did a lot of, uh, in my education of, uh, of classic children's story like this. Like, a lot of them, I have never read the book, but I, I know them sort of well because I've watched, uh, I watched, uh, the, the, the anime on TV. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope, I hope something changes with that eventually and that someone dubs it in English and it's, it can get broader accessibility because... Even then, it's still it's still ridiculous. It took till 2014 for the whole thing to get to get fan subbed, and wow. even even with it all finally out there, not a lot of people seem to be taking it up. So if you haven't seen Heidi, I encourage you certainly to watch the whole thing. Um, the pacing, the way it's structured and and paced, isn't always going to be to um, to our to modern preferences that much, but it is worth your time for sure. It is a uh, it's it's a it's a very good show in general. It gives you a very strong perspective of you know where Asao Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki would take their work in their later TV shows and movies. So check it you out. Know what I would be interested. Hmm? Sorry, I was say you know what I would be kind of interested in hearing a German's perspective on on impact of Heidi in, in Germany. Yeah, I I haven't looked into that. I'm sure there's something out there because Germany was one of the countries where Heidi had the biggest impact. The, or yeah. where the anime was most popular. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. It would be really interesting to look into articles or, or uh, retrospectives or, or podcasts or anything in German uh, that mm -hmm. talk about it. That'd be, yeah. We focus on Canada in this show, but we gotta, we gotta break down all these barriers of the type, yeah. the unique <laughs> impact that various anime shows have had in different cultures and countries across the world because you know we we we, we hyper we hyper focus on the history in the united states um and you know a big a big reason i want to focus on shows like this on this podcast is to at least um demonstrate that there's a broader history there's a broader cultural relevance to anime outside of you know what what we know from united what, states what we know history. today as things get more homogenized as we just turn to 
everything just streaming instantly as it comes out of Japan, I think, you know, there, there's a risk of like erasure going on to, to that history. So we gotta, we gotta dive deeper, overcome these language barriers and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and just find more because there's a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Chris, I think that's just about all I've got. Did you have any other, any other thoughts you wanted to share before we wrap up? ID is a great show. Everybody definitely check it out. I agree. Great. So, Chris, can you just let people know where uh, they can find you online and uh, anything else you've been up to lately? Yes, online you can find still find me on the on X at Korotsky, or I'm str- str- struggling to slowly migrate to Blue Sky, which where I'm at Korotsky there as well. Uh, you can also uh, find me at uh, I, I host a podcast with a friend. Uh, we rank uh, anime songs. Uh, from the better to less better uh, it's entirely in french uh, unfortunately but uh, it should be relatively easy to follow uh, the uh, podcast is called uh, super anisong war yeah and uh, thanks for tuning in to zon in canada uh, you can find me on blue sky uh, that's jbetteridge.bsky.social uh, i am still on twitter at jbetteridge but i'm going to be posting a lot less there as i, I transition over to blue sky so please please follow me on blue sky if uh if you have access to both platforms uh you can also email me zonincanada at gmail.com the theme song is by ultra Claystron. that can be found on his album packet flood and you can find that at ultraclaystron.com please subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts or spotify um, apparently Google podcast is going away and is going to be replaced by YouTube music. I'm not, um, really? quite, yeah, no. not, not quite sure, um, how that's going to play out. Just, uh, keep an eye on that. If you're subscribing to me through Google podcast, but you can still subscribe on there for now, or you can just use your podcast app of choice. See you again.